I did uh, read in one of my devotions this week. It, it was from July, but I just, of course, had, you know, the Lord had me open the, to that page. And it was in the um, My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. Um, I'm just going to read part of what he said um, about Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That's what we're studying this week. He said, the Beatitudes initially seemed to be merely soothing and beautiful precepts, but of every, very little practical use in the fast-paced workdays of the world in which we live. We soon find, however, that the Beatitudes contain the dynamite of the Holy Spirit, and they explode when the circumstances of our lives cause them to do so. So when the Holy Spirit reminds us of the Beatitudes, we must decide whether or not we will accept the tremendous spiritual upheaval that will be produced in our circumstances if we obey his words. That is the way the Spirit of God works. And when, when he mentions dynamite, it reminded me of Acts 1.8, where Jesus tell his tells his followers, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The power, the word there, the Greek word that he uses for power is dunamis, which is where we get our word for dynamite. Just recently, my husband, um, his boss has a, a hill in Gavilan Hills, and he's decided to build his house on the very top of the hill. And um, he had the graders out there. You know, he has his plans. Everything is, you know, put into motion. But the graders started working. They had to flatten the top of the hill to make a pad for that house. Well, they, they went in there, and there were huge boulders. And they were trying to dig them out. And they, they worked for days trying to do this until somebody finally decided this is going to take some dynamite. And I guess they, they bored like 200 holes in the boulders and in the rocks so that they could, you know, level that area. Now, he could have changed his idea for his house. He could have changed the foundation of the house if he just didn't want to take the easy way out. But he decided that he wanted what he had planned. And so he had these people come and dynamite those boulders out. I wish I could have been there. I've never seen dynamite exploding except for on television. But I wish I would have, could have seen it. And this morning as I was driving in, this wasn't part of my lecture, but I just thought, that's how the Holy Spirit works in our life. If we choose not to let him have his way in our lives, we can, you know, end up with a lousy little house on a, a sifting sand kind of foundation. But if we let him dynamite explode into what he has planned for us, then we can have this amazing house on a hill, you know, the mansion that the Lord is preparing for us right now. So I just thought of that as I was um, driving in today. <laughs> um, Oswald Chambers goes on to say, we do not need to be born again to apply the Sermon on the Mount literally. It's kind of easy. The literal interpretation is as easy as child's play, he says. But the interpretation by the Spirit of God as he applies our Lord's statements to our circumstances is the strict and difficult work 
of a saint. That's what we're doing. We are going in and studying the Beatitudes so we know exactly what the true interpretation is and what Jesus meant when he said these words. He goes on to say, the teachings of Jesus are upside down when compared to our natural way of looking at things. And they come to us initially with astonishing discomfort. We gradually have to conform our walk and conversation to the precepts of Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit applies them to our circumstances. And here's the, the key point. The Sermon on the Mount is not a set of rules and regulations. One pastor said, it's not a buffet line. You don't get to pick and choose. It's a picture of the life we will live when the Holy Spirit is having his unhindered way with us. Let the Holy Spirit, you know, explode in your life. Let that dynamite power come out in you. Well, simply stated, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And literally, we know, we know what mourning is. It's a, a grief over a loss. Um, it's great sorrow or lamenting, weeping and wailing kind of comes with, the, with to mind. Um, I am blessed to have most of my family still living. Um, my grandparents moved away when they were very old, and so I was already kind of removed from them when they passed. I still have my mom, my sister, and my kids. I haven't had um, that, that overwhelming mourning for um, a lost loved one, except for my dad. But the funny thing with my dad was, um, as he was dying and had, we had hospice for him, I think I mourned more for him before he passed because he was not a believer. And so every time I saw him, you know, my, my desire was that he would turn his heart and his mind and his life to the Lord. Kind of like David when he was mourning his infant son. But then when my dad passed, the Lord truly comforted me and let me know that it hadn't been my, my job to, you know, convert my father in fact, the day that he died and I was at the house, I had to take the dog outside the back door so that he wouldn't follow the, the gurney and my dad out the front door. And when I opened that door and stepped out, there was a little white feather that I had to step over. And it just, I felt like the God, God comforted me by saying, I was here. You know, so often we think of the, the Holy Spirit as the, the dove. And it might have been just a silly thing, but I feel like the Lord placed that feather there to tell me I was here. I was doing my job. It was up to my dad. And so um, for me, that was the morning that I have felt. One of the world's um, answers to mourning is time heals all wounds. Well, I had a neighbor, and she and her husband had been married 59 years when he passed. And so I saw her mourning, and... It seemed like it lasted a long time. And because I don't have an experience with that, I asked a counselor one time, well, how long will it be before she stops mourning? I was kind of stupid about it, right? Well, she said, how long have they been married? And I said, 59 years. And she goes, it could be 59 years. Oh, maybe time doesn't heal all wounds. But if you have the Holy Spirit, you are comforted in that time. Um, I know that, Rose, my neighbor, was comforted when her granddaughter came, and she was 
teaching her granddaughter to cook and to garden and stuff like that. And she was a believer, so I know that she was comforted even though she was mourning. My mom, um, I see her going about her business. She's been very independent in her widowhood. Is that how you say it? Um, you know, doing quite well. But, you know, she calls me and we cry together and, and I try to comfort her. Her dog comforts her. She says the hardest time is when she comes home from something she's been at all day and then comes home to an empty house. But because my, her dog's there, she talks to the dog and tells the dog, you know, how much she loves her. So that's a comfort. Those are what the world has to offer, the comfort. But we are here to study God's word and to have the Holy Spirit interpret the Beatitudes for our daily lives. We are to see the radical teaching of Christ in order to live radical lives for him. So again... It says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. One of the words um, in some of the versions, it says, happy are those who mourn. And um, I have a note in my Bible that probably a pastor said, blessed means happy are those who know they are the object of God's grace. And Brian Broderson says it like this, God's favor rests on those who mourn. Well, this beatitude follows the one that we studied last week, blessed are the poor in spirit. And Chuck Smith says, this poverty of spirit comes from a true encounter with God. You know, it's the action of surrendering all to him, to emptying yourself in order to be filled with his spirit. And we know that we must die to self and all the world has to offer to gain the kingdom of God. And we looked at words like lowly and humble in spirit last week when we were setting that, that beatitude. Well, the second thing he said is when we see ourselves in the light of God, we see the truth about ourselves. When we were singing that song about the breath in my lungs, I thought, oh my goodness, I, I don't even, I can't even live. I can't breathe without him putting the breath in my lungs. Well, what is it we see when we look at God? We see that we're bankrupt without any way to purchase or secure our salvation. Without God, we are like those in Revelation, wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And in fact, all our good works are like filthy rags. We don't even have breath to praise him without him giving those to, him, to us. Number three, Chuck says, when we see the truth about ourselves, it leads to mourning. Just as we mourn the loss of a loved one, we must acknowledge that sin separates us from God. We have lost our most beloved loved one. Oswald Chambers says, if sin rules in me, God's life in me will be killed. If God rules in me, sin will be killed. So sin will kill the life of God in us. That's something to mourn about. These first two Beatitudes do go hand in hand when we recognize the truth about ourselves, that we are sinners in need of a Savior, we are poor in spirit, and it causes us to mourn. When recognizing our sin, we must repent we should grieve over any sin that we've committed. 
acknowledging that we have sinned against God, that we are separated from him, that should make us run right back to him. You know, put ourselves in his mercy for his grace and forgiveness. Our lesson had us look at Psalm 51, where we see David stricken with grief. And I thought, you know, if we were able to, you know, put in a video or do Netflix and see David writing these words, we would probably see a heartbroken man, prostrate, weeping over his sin, begging for God's mercy. Listen to his cries in, in this verse. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David is heart sick for what he has done. He is mourning. Well, I've felt this way before. Um, and it was a long, long time ago. I'm sure I've felt it before, but this is the one that the Lord reminded me of. Before I was married, my boyfriend was away at college, and I got invited to be in a girlfriend's wedding. And so, you know, you go, and you go to all the different parties and stuff, and the uh, rehearsal dinner and everything. And so I kind of got to know the guy I was going to walk down the aisle with, and he was very handsome and very charming. Well, I was lonely. I was missing my boyfriend, and it was really the first time I'd been in a situation where I was tempted to stray. It was also, unfortunately, the first time I drank. So I just let you know, I was late getting home after the wedding. Um, and what did I find when I got home? Well, not only but a mat, a, a a mad mom, but also my boyfriend had driven 10 hours from New Mexico to surprise me. I was heartsick. And like I said, I wasn't a Christian, and I really hadn't done anything wrong, but I wanted to die. I had hurt my boyfriend to the quick, and I felt what I could only call heartsick. I truly cried my eyes out for days, and I threw myself on my boyfriend's mercy. For years, I carried that guilt and shame of that evening, even though I had been forgiven and actually married that boyfriend. That's my husband. Do you know that when I accepted the Lord on a Tuesday night and went home, that was one of the first things that I was brought to my memory to confess to the Lord and ask for forgiveness? And he comforted me. He literally cleansed me of that sin. And just like David, I was overwhelmed by my sin. I was mourning. But God comforted me. I knew I had been forgiven. In Acts 2, Peter's sermon creates a mourning in the heart of the hearers. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. In other words, they were heartsick over their sin. And they said, brothers, what shall we do? What was Peter's reply? Repent 
and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who convicts us of our sin, you know, like dynamite. He just explodes it and reminds you what you've done. He causes us to mourn. Mourning is the emotional response to our realization that we are poor in spirit. We mourn for our own sin, but we also mourn for the sin of others. We mourn for those who have rejected God and hardened their hearts, just like my dad. Well, Psalm 119, 136 says, Streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your law is not obeyed. That certainly is our world today. Jeremiah 9.1 says, Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night for the slain of my people. After 9.11, I was a wreck. Um, it had a paralyzing effect on me. And it took months for me to kind of get over that. I know that happened to a lot of people. Um, I couldn't stop thinking of all the people that had died, that had lost their lives without knowing Christ our Lord, and who perished without knowing his forgiveness, his mercy, his grace, or his peace. And then I started feeling guilty because I wasn't a good evangelist. I, I wasn't out there evangelizing every person I saw. Um, I felt ashamed that I had not even convinced my sister or my dad to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The stress of that, talk about stress affecting you physically, I ended up with shingles. I had uh, panic attacks and anxiety attacks. I was in a shopping mall one day, and I just kind of lost it. I couldn't, find, I couldn't remember where I was. I couldn't remember where my car was. I just sat on a bench and cried. Um, it was before cell phones for me, and so I couldn't even call anybody. It was miserable. And I was mourning over all of those people, but mourning my sin of not being able to be out there and, and telling everyone about the Lord. Well, that's really not the kind of mourning we need to be doing. We're not to go around grim and miserable. We're not to be depressed without consolation. But we should be mourning the world's condition. The, world, the word mourn in verse 4 actually means a continual mourning. And the way the world is carrying on, it's not hard to mourn continually. Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. He wept at the tomb of Lazarus, but not because his friend was dead. He knew he was going to raise him from the dead. He wept as he saw the suffering that sin had brought on humanity, as he saw the grief on Mary and Martha's face. Jesus wept also over Jerusalem, knowing that the destruction that was going to come upon them because they had chose to reject his kingdom rebel against God's authority in their lives. Well, at the tomb, what did Jesus do? He prayed. He, he said, thank you, Father. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. So I decided a long time ago 
after all the anxiety and everything that happened after the 9-11 attacks, that the one thing that I could do was pray. And sometimes it's more for the benefit of those around me. I make sure I pray at restaurants. I pray when my sister is around, whether she likes to hold the hands around the table or not. I used to pray for my dad, you know, in his hearing when he was dying. And the thing is, is if you drop down to verses 13 and 15, uh, 13 through 15 in our passage, it says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. You should continually mourn for those who are lost, but you also need to continually pray and live a lifestyle that glorifies God and provides those who are watching with a picture of Christ. Well, you know, I told you that Beatitudes were radical teaching for radical living, but you can't live a radical lifestyle without help. The Holy Spirit is your helper. He's your intercessor, your advocate. He is your comforter. When you look at the Greek word for comfort, you find parakaleo. <laughs> Reminds you of parakletus, right? It means to draw near to console. Para is beside, above, among, and Kaleo is akin to. Jesus told us that he was going to send us a comforter akin to himself, to be beside, among, and in us. The Holy Spirit is our comfort. The Holy Spirit is the one to give us assurance of our salvation. He teaches us the truth the truth that sets us free from our guilt and from our shame. He convicts us of our sin so that we can confess and repent and be forgiven. Here's what Isaiah declares about the Lord and his comfort from the New Living Bible. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. To all who mourn, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, which is a sign of mourning, and the oil of gladness instead of mourning. When I read that verse in our lesson, <clears throat> it reminded me of my mother-in-law. She has dementia, and she used to live alone, but now she's in a, uh, a board and care, being very well taken care of by hospice. I often, after I visit, find myself kind of in mourning for her. Not, I mean, she's still with us, but her mind is gone. So she's with us in kind of in body alone. She's just not herself. But she has been given a crown of beauty. She looks so much better than she used to when she lived alone. Um, I'd often find her unkempt and wearing soiled clothes. And she was kind of afraid to get into the tub, so she didn't wash her hair very often. There was just, you know, something that was so different now that she's under hospice care. 
Now when I visit her, she looks at peace. She's clean. She's radiant. She's told me that she is blessed. Her skin always seems smooth with lotion and sweet smelling, like the oil of gladness in that verse. And that, seeing her like that, has soothed my mourning. And seeing her so well taken care of comforts me to no end. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Remember, God's favor rests on those who mourn, for the power of the Holy Spirit is in them and comforts them. Brian Broderson says, Without acknowledgement of our sin, there is no mourning. Without mourning, there is no forgiveness. And without forgiveness, there is no comfort. Comfort comes from forgiveness. Comfort comes from knowing God is in control. Comfort comes from the hope of the future of our Lord's coming kingdom. Comfort comes from knowing God sees me, not for who I really am, but through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, the God of all comfort. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this lesson, for sometimes we do look at the Beatitudes and think, oh, that's easy, that's, that, I, I understand that, but you really have to dig in deep and let the Holy Spirit interpret your words so that we can apply it to our lives. And so, Father, I pray that as we meet in our groups, that we will uh, hear even, even more uh, nuggets of truth that you have shown each lady here. And, Father, we pray that we will be changed that we will have a testimony, that others will see that we live a radical life through your Holy Spirit that comforts us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.